Thank you, Devin. Well, on this Memorial Day, one of the things that I endeavor to do is uh, how can I make this more than just a three-day weekend? Sometimes that's what uh, kind of grabs us. There's another day off if you're still working, and, and what can I do for fun? But on Memorial Day, and as well as some other special days, we ought to remember why we set aside a national holiday. And I often will forget from year to year some of the significant things about it, or at least some of the, the we call them trivia, or just some things that ought to, ought to cause us to think a little bit more about this day. Memorial Day was instituted during the Civil War years. That's when it had its, its legacy to begin, and it was to remember those who fought that battle between the states and between people that were at odds, and, and they wanted to remember those who sacrificed their lives, so that began the, the practice of making sure the cemeteries were clean and flowers were put and people were not forgotten for giving their lives on behalf of others. And then around World War I, it began to spread and recognizing that there were a number of wars that had been fought by Americans and so it was now commemorated to remember all those who had fought and given their life for others and the Bible talks about there is no greater love than this than one would lay down his life for his friends there's no there's no clearer way to show your love for someone else than you're willing to make the supreme sacrifice and so then uh, they began to look at just how people celebrate Memorial Day and realize at least half of the states uh, 25 states did it on different days. And so then in 1971, the Congress decided that on Memorial Day would always be the last Monday of the month of May. And so uh, that's why we do what we do uh, come tomorrow in remembering those who have made that supreme sacrifice. Uh, probably all of you know this, but uh, there is a particular flower that is designated for Memorial Day. How many know what the flower is? I didn't ask you. <laughs> show the, you guys some of you are just show offs all right well I didn't know it was the poppy you're right it's poppy and I, I think most of us could uh, could figure out what color poppy it should be it's the red poppy and it's to remind us of the blood that was willing to be spilled and given uh, on behalf of the freedoms of others so we want to remember those who have um, whose families represent those who have loved ones that have died on the battlefield and uh, in the midst of rejoicing of their sacrifice, there's also sorrow that comes from that. So let's go to prayer uh, one more time. Father, we do pray and thank you for those who are willing to serve the armed services, uh, but also those who have been willing to put their life at risk, and that risk resulted in their death. Uh, but their death was and should never be forgotten. It should always be remembered that there are those who are willing to give their lives on behalf of others. And Father, we would just pray you might give comfort and strength to uh, friends and family members who have had have gone through that experience of of having loved ones die on the battlefield but father we thank you that their their life is not in vain and they have protected freedoms uh, not only for us but around the world and we pray your blessing upon um, everyone connected to those who have given their lives on behalf of others and we praise in jesus name amen well, this morning, uh, we're in the series in the Gospel of Luke, and it's now uh, that place in which we uh, encounter one of the more familiar portions in the New Testament, and it's a story, whether you're familiar with the New Testament or not, you might have heard about the, the story of the prodigal son, the son who, who left his home and his father's home and decided to live like he wanted to live and realized that that wasn't necessarily the best choice, came running back, received by his father, and then... Uh, the reaction of the older son as well. 
And we're going to talk about that this morning. There's so many different ways to look at that particular story, and it's a significant one. I was reading um, just recently that Charles Dickens, as he, and he's a pretty good um, writer of tales and stories, he said that the prodigal son is the greatest piece of literature in all of the world. So he looked at that one small story and said it, it can't be put any better than the way Jesus put it and recorded by, by Luke in his writings. And, and so we're going to look at this story that has significance for all of us. And in some ways, this is, this is humbling to preach on this passage because it's familiar to many, and it's been preached and talked about in so many different ways. And even if you were simply to read it, you would feel, I've, I've done justice to it. But once you start commenting on it, you're feeling, am I really helping or am I hurting people really getting the depth of what it has to say? But I'm going to venture off this morning as, as best I can to, to share with you what I think should be something that we ought to leave with this morning. One of the disciplines we try to share with all of you is whenever you hear someone speak, you ought to have a takeaway. You could say, well, I, I liked what they had to say or it was interesting or whatever, but what are you going to take away? So let me give you your takeaway to begin with. I, I want you to discover joy this morning. I, I want you to realize there is a source of joy that can go with you wherever you go, no matter what happens to you around you. And, and I want to paint it this way, is that if you discovered that w- when you're around people who are glad that you're around, that... that that, you, that, that it puts a smile on your face? When people are joyful that you're there, it makes you joyful. Isn't that true? That when you have family come and, and they're excited to be there, that makes you excited that they're excited that you're there. And all of a sudden, it just puts a smile on your, on your face and, a, and, a, and just, a, a, just a, a jumping of, of cheer in your heart. And, and if you think about that, the, the most important people in your life are the people you want to be joyful that you're around. They're, they're strangers that you would like them to smile at you, but if they don't, it doesn't throw you into despair. But if people you know and care about, if they find joy in you, it produces joy in you as well. Well, just think about the most important person in all of the universe. If there is a God and that God finds joy in you, then that ought to put joy in you. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We, uh, we looked at a couple of the stories uh, last week, and in many ways you could preach this message in one Sunday, the problem, there's so much material, it's hard to, to, to t- put it in one, in one setting. But Jesus told three stories. The story of the, the lost sheep and the lost coin and the, and the lost son. And if you're not familiar with these stories, basically there's a lost sheep and there's a lost coin and there's a lost son and all three are, are found. And, and when they're found, it brings great joy, the Bible says, in heaven. Now, last week, we, we looked at a couple things, or one primary thing that I want to leave you with is, is you think about the message in, in the Scriptures, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, you need to be convinced that you are of great value to God, that you are extremely important to God. You, have, you are worth everything to God. And, and we looked at it in a variety of different ways, and I have to be careful, or I'm going to preach last week's sermon, and then I won't have time for this week's sermon, but... but but we talked about that, you know, things can be valuable in this world if, if somehow somebody puts their signature on something. Is that true? You know, if you got my signature on something, unless it was a check, it really means absolutely nothing. You're not going to get anything for it. But if you had somebody else that was extremely famous, whether it be an athlete or some other celebrity, and they put their signature on it, and it, if there was any particular time frame between when they put it on now and what they put it on had some kind of value, that could be worth literally millions of dollars. I was reading 
that there was a particular, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, one a person, actually I did not know by memory, and it's worth over $2 million if you have his signature on some kind of document. And you think about it, that well, what makes you valuable is God has put his signature on your life. In the Old Testament, in the very beginning, the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, it says that when God created us, he created us in his what? image. He put his signature on our lives. So you are of great value and importance to God. But the Bible says, you know, it begins in Genesis and, and after Genesis 1 and Genesis chapter 2, there's Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are still awake. You know what flower it is for the memorial? No. Okay. Chapter 3 is all about we messed it up. The Bible just says that, that we fell from God. We chose to go our own independent way and, and rebel against him. And, and that's the problem we have in our world. It's because we've rebelled against God and His plan for our lives. But God still places value in our lives because we are created in His image. And so in, just, in, in Luke chapter 15, the first two stories, Jesus is in one sense debating with people who aren't, aren't sure they believe that. And maybe in a more private way, you have thought this at times, you know, I think I have some value, but I'm not sure about... I'm not sure about Dave over there. You know, I'm, I'm not sure about Tim over here. You know, I know I have value, but I'm not. He's shocked right now. Okay, you know, I, I have some value, but I'm not sure, you know, they have much value compared to me. And as, as, as funny as that sounds, that was, that, what was, that was happening there. Because there was some religious elite there, and they were looking at some people that had some rather uh, shocking lifestyles. And they were saying, you know, they are real sinners. And anybody that was holy at all would never spend any time with them because they, they really have no worth. So, so Jesus tells a couple stories. He said, well, so you think some people don't really matter too much, but you think you matter a lot. Well, let me tell you about a dumb animal, a sheep. Sheep was lost, and, and um, there were 100 sheep. And what did the shepherd do? He left the 99 and risked his life sacrificially to find the one sheep that was lost. And so we are shown that we have great value. If you want to take notes, you don't have to take notes, but it's shown by the shepherd sacrificially searching for the sheep. And we place value on certain things. If, if something is important, we'll go through great efforts to find what is lost. Isn't that true? And you say, oh, look at me. Let, me. let me just look at your life and compare you to an animal. I'm not a particular, you know, precious animal. This is a little sheep. The shepherd, which represents God, He's willing to leave all the other sheep to find you because you are precious in his sight. And we know it's precious because he sacrificed. He went out in the wilderness in the dangerous area to get that sheep that was, that was lost. But let me, let me put another story. This is Jesus speaking. Uh, let's not compare God to a, to a shepherd. Let's compare God to a woman. A woman in an impoverished state in a little shack that has dirt for a floor, maybe some straw upon it, that doesn't have a whole lot of light, maybe a small 18-inch window. Some say there's no window at all. And she loses a coin. But this coin is precious to her because it's, it's kind of like a diamond ring. It's, she had a headdress where there were 10 coins on. When she got when she was, she was married, it was probably a dowry from her family. And it was also security for her family because there was 10 days of wages. Or one, one coin was your, worth one day's wage, and, and they lived day to day, and when a, a coin was lost, it was, it was precious to that family because that might be feeding that family for a day. And, and so what did she do? She, she looked for this inanimate object. We're not even talking about something that's living. We're talking about an inanimate object, a little coin, and she searched her house desperately to find it. 
And even the picture of that, it was in the dirty places. They say, you're looking at some of these people over here and you think that they're the dirty people of society. But that woman, she searches everywhere in the cracks and crevices and the dirty places of life to find that one little coin. And, and what does she do when she, she finds it? She, de- she declares to everyone of how great value it was to her. So last week we looked at well, what do I want you to discover. I want you to discover God's value. He, val- he, has, he looked at you with great value. And everyone else you meet has value. But he, he doesn't leave it here. He tells another story. And in that story, I think what he does is he combines the other three stories. And, and this is what I want to emphasize this morning. Not only do you have great value to God, but you can be of great joy to God. And that's already found in the other stories as well. But even backing up a little bit, sometimes we, we look at Jesus, and sometimes we even look at people who are willing to, to go on the battlefield and, and fight for the freedoms or protections of a nation. And, and we wonder, well, why do they do that? Why are they willing to make great sacrifice? There's got to be a motive here. What was the motive for Jesus to go to the cross? In Hebrews 12.2, it puts it plainly. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, you are of great joy to God, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the, what? Joy set before him endured the cross. Why, why would Jesus go to the cross for us who were so undeserving because of our sin, whether it's, it was known sin or unknown sin, whether it was the sin that this. The, the evil in our heart or the evil expressed in our life, why would he do that? You know, Jesus said, well, you know, people, people often make sacrifice for people they love and care about, but how about the people who are undeserving? Jesus died for us while we were yet undeserving. Why? It's, it's said as plainly as possible because there was a joy that he was going to experience when we were rescued. It's like, it's like the drowning person out in the ocean and, and, and when that drowning person is rescued, there's great joy. And if, if that brings great joy to the one who rescues that person, the, the lifeguard, that ought to bring joy to us as well. But in, in the stories that he told, in the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin, and then looking at the lost son this morning, what was the commentary on that story? Verse 7, on the lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 persons who need no repentance. God goes to the great lengths to rescue anybody and everybody that will respond to him because it brings him joy, particularly in comparison to people who don't think they need God. You know, what can you tell someone who thinks he knows it all? Absolutely what? Nothing. What can you say about having a relationship with God who thinks they don't need him? You know, really, you have no hope there until they see their need. And, and great joys in heaven when people are rescued. Then even that coin, the same idea there in verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Not only does God rejoice, but all his angelic realm rejoices. Why? Because one of us has been rescued. It brings God great joy. And if it brings God great joy, that I'll bring joy to us as well. But there are some who still weren't convinced. They're, they kept thinking about this. Well, I know a sheep is valuable, and if you don't have a whole lot of money, you know, a day's wage is pretty valuable, and you ought to go after it, and that will bring you joy when you find it. I mean, we get great joy when we find our keys, right, when we can't find them in the morning. Um, that happened to me actually today. I left them in Alice's car. I was going through the whole house, and I go, where did I leave my, oh, it's in your car, okay. Okay. Um, 
But, but there, is, there is joy more than finding something insignificant. And so now he says, I'm not going to talk about a dumb animal like a sheep. I'm not going to talk about something inanimate like a coin. I'm going to talk about a person, a son. And, and what I want to do now is, as we think about the joyful celebration in heaven over the, when the loss is found and by the father or the son to return, I want to read the story. Because in case I don't explain it very well, at least you heard it. And then we're going to go back and see it again. So this is the story that C.S. Lewis says is the greatest piece of literature in all of the world. And he, this is Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger son of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods with, with the, that, the, that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to the, his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have, have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And so he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And, and bring the fatted calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed a fatted calf for him. And, and he said to, to him, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead, has begun to live and was lost and has been found. This is probably throughout the world known as the story of the prodigal son. And unlike many of you who knew that the, the flower on Memorial Day was the poppy and the red poppy, which I did not know until yesterday when I looked it up, is that for the longest period of time, something that you would think a pastor would know, uh, though it's not particularly used in the scriptures here, but you would have thought I would have known what the word prodigal meant. And reality is when I began to study it, I didn't really know what the word prodigal meant. 
I, I thought because of the, the symmetry of the passage, he was talking about a lost sheep and a lost coin, that the prodigal meant it was a lost son. But the word prodigal does not mean lost. I mean, he was lost. The word prodigal isn't, it's kind of an archaic word. It's not really used in a lot of different settings. But it has, like a lot of words, kind of a double meaning. It's an old term, and I have in your outline this morning, uh, that describes an extravagantly lavish or generous person or a self-indulgent, wasteful person. Well, the second part of that definition is appropriately used for the younger son. He was self-indulgent. He was self-centered. He was seeking self-pleasure. It was all about, I want to get the... I want to experience everything this world has to offer. And often when you go down that path, you know that's going to be a big waste. Because you can't just, you know, uh, experiment with everything without the consequences of your actions. Plus, he brought great shame to his father and his family. So that's why it's called the prodigal son. Because he was wasteful, self-indulgent, self-centered, and seeking self-pleasure. But if you look at it from another perspective, why are you guys turning your outlines? I haven't told you to turn yet. No, okay. Yeah, is that th- there's, there's the aspect where the father could be called the prodigal father. Well, and why could he be called the prodigal father? Because he was extremely lavish or generous. Because when the son returns, he gives him what he doesn't deserve. The, the best robe, the, the signet ring, the sandals, the, the position of of loving reception and forgiveness that's that's usually reserved for people you think deserve it and and then you look at the other son the older son who is often a forgotten character though he might might be one of the major characters. he is one of the major characters in the story he was also a prodigal son though he had never left and and sometimes people look pretty good on the on the outside but if you kind of get a little bit deeper you find on the inside in their heart they are just as rebellious and self-centered as people that, are, that it's obvious you're going down a different path. So what I want to submit to you that it's quite, another way to look at this particular story is that it's not only about the prodigal younger son, but it's also about the prodigal loving father, and it's also about the prodigal older son. But keeping with the theme about discovering joy, I want you to understand this. In, in terms of the three main characters here, two of them end up being very joyful, and one ends up being joyless. Because at the end of the story, you have the older son. What's his emotion? It's anger. It's bitterness. It's lashing out at his father. It's, it's, it's looking at his own life and saying it's been unfair, it's been unjust. And he's filled with, his, with himself. And when he's filled with himself, he has no joy. He didn't have his joy in his relationship with his father. He had his joy in what was going to come to him. When his father died. And so this morning, I, I want to I simply try, try to drive this home. That, that you can be a source of great joy. And you can experience great joy. When your joy is in your relationship with the Heavenly Father who created you. And provided a way for you. So let's look back at the story in the time we have left. And let's kind of dissect where this comes out. So now, if you're looking at the next part of your outline. Uh, the fill in the blanks here are pretty simple. Because I want to emphasize that the theme of joy is that there is the joyful younger prodigal. He, he, in the end, experienced great joy. You have the joyful father prodigal, and you have the joyless older prodigal. 
And in between there, you see some other themes as well. Let's go back through the story. The prodigal, who is either extremely wasteful and self-indulgent and self-centered, or you have the, the father who is extremely extravagant in his generosity with that which his son desperately needs. And he, this is Jesus, Luke 15, 11, said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And you need to realize the great shame this was going to put on the father because what he was essentially saying to the father is that, you know, I, I actually wish you were dead because then I could have what I know I'm going to get in the future. And, and the father then, at that point had, had no obligation to give him a third of the estate. The, the older son was actually going to get two-thirds of the estate. The younger son was only going to get a third. And, and to divest of the resources, to make it liquid, would not have been an easy thing to do. It would have curtailed any... parts of that estate growing because a third of it would be gone. But the father divides, the next verse, he divides the wealth between them. And this is a picture of what, what a parable is in the scriptures. A, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And, and this really pictures God, the father, is he's made us and created us and has sovereign plan and will over our lives. He allows us to go down and choose the path we want to go down. He could have stopped the son from using all those resources by simply not giving it to him. But he gave them the opportunity to rebel against him in this very concrete way. And he gives them what not only he didn't deserve at that moment, but what he was not prepared to, to use. He said, you, if you want to go down that path, go down that path. And then in verse 13 it says, And not many days later the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. Now he was living within the nation of Israel, and there were, there were great commandments that he was familiar with, and, and there was much pressure to, to conform to the, the, the top ten as well as the other commandments. And so he was living basically within a righteous, a moral righteous, ethical environment. And so he wanted to get as far away from possible from this. Now, in that day, I don't know what that meant. He probably went to a Gentile uh, place, Rome or Corinth or Babylon. And... I don't know what place we would pick. Usually we always pick on Las Vegas. You know, where, where do you want to go to, to do whatever you want to do? What happens in Vegas, what? Stays in Vegas, and that, which means it's not probably good things that are happening in, in Vegas. And so he said, I want to live it up. And so he did. Now when he had spent everything, and he probably had quite a bit, but if you spend it pretty quickly, I mean pretty lavishly, you can get rid of it pretty quick. And and then something happened. A severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. Which means not only did he lose it all, but a lot of the people where he was living had lost much of it because if they were, if they were receiving things based on the, the fertility of the land, they didn't have much as well. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, if you know anything about the... The Jewish culture, um, pigs aren't on the, on the list there, okay? That's not too kosher. Uh, in fact, the rabbis would often say anybody who works with swines or pigs or hogs, uh, you know, they should be accursed. And yet he had no other really option. He had to take whatever he could get. And it goes on and says, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything to eat. And, and the pods are almost unedible for, for humans. And yet he was just scrounging for whatever he could get, and there was really no one who was coming to his aid. 
that someone has said that as he left his home where he had some family, obviously, and probably had some friends, and he wanted some new friends, the only friends he really had when he left were pigs. And then there's a very creative way to say what happened next in verse 17, but when he came to his senses. Now, some people, when they, when they find out that people come to know Jesus, they, they meet God or whatever, or whatever, however you want to describe it, uh, they think, this, this person's gone crazy. He's, he's become a religious fanatic. There's something wrong with him. Why, why would people you know, go that direction? But in this story, the story said, look at, he, he's tasted of the world. And the Bible says there are pleasures in the world, but they're passing pleasures that won't last, and some are destructive. And he said, I, it said he came to his senses. Now, now I know what, what life really is all about, and he realized, i gotta, I got to make a change. And he began, what motivated him was not only looking at his own life, which had been a mess, he began to look at his father, the goodness of his father. The Bible says in Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. When we see how good God is, we'll see how less good we are. And when we see how good God is, we'll run to him because he has what only he can offer. But in the story he says, but how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? And what he's saying here, he is, he is a prodigal father. He's a prodigal landowner because not only does he pay his laborers what they're due, their wages, but he gives them more than they deserve. They give them more bread. So he was extremely, the prodigal father, loving father, you could see it in, in all of his life. He was generous. But how many of my father's hired men have more than enough? But I am lying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him. And so he began speaking to himself. You ever talk to yourself? Anybody ever talk to yourself? Just don't let anybody hear you when you're talking to yourself, right? You can do it silently. You can do it out loud. And so he was, he was talking to himself. And, and this is what he said to himself. Self, um, this is what I'll do. I'll say to my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. And, and, and I really believe he was genuine here. He was being sincere. He wasn't just like coming up with a line. And he says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up the plan. He said, I'm, I'm going to repent. I'm, I'm, I'm going to change. And what is repentance? The, in, in the mind, it's, it's admitting you're wrong. You know, in the heart, it's coming to that place where you know you're, you're sorrowful for what you've done. And then in your will, saying, I, I want to change. And, and then be very concrete and intentional. I'm going I'm to go down that path, and I'm going to, I'm going to admit that I've sinned against God and I've sinned against people and just give me whatever you can. I don't deserve it, but whatever you give me, give me what you can. So we went up and came to his father. And now we kind of pick, pick the picture of the loving prodigal father. But while he was still a long way off, this is the younger son, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now, here's where the story becomes shocking, particularly to some of the religious elite, because they're saying that younger son got exactly what he deserved, right? You, know, you, you reap what we, you sow. You sow that, you're going to get what you, your consequences of your actions, and that's true on a temporal basis. And, and in one sense, that's hopeless. And, and they're saying that father is going to say he had his chances, he left. But what we see here is the father is constantly looking for his son that might return. He doesn't know who he is. But he's, he's looking for him to return. And when he returns, he doesn't idly start walking toward him. He runs. And that was shocking because older men weren't supposed to run. You know, they, they were more dignified for that. In fact, 
basically in those days, they, you know, men wore dresses, right? And to, to, to run, you'd have to, you'd have to pull them up and show your legs and take off. And when he took off, you wonder, well, he, was, he, was just, he just wanted to get to him, but there was probably even more significance to it because he had brought such shame to the father and the family that the larger community, the village that they were in, they could have picked up stones to, to throw at the son who had returned. He had brought shame to his father. One of the top tens, honor your father and your mother. And they would hurl abuse at him verbally. So one of the reasons to run, not only express that he wanted to see his son quickly, but he wanted to probably protect him. Some have said that, that when he embraced him, what it did in a concrete, physical way, look, if you're going to throw rocks at my son, you have to hit me first. And then he had the, the PDA, public display of affection. He just embraced and kissed him. And, and then the confession begins. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And then all of a sudden the father erupts him. He doesn't even give him the chance to say, well, can you just hire me as one of your servants? Can, I just, can you put me in your employment? He stops him. He interrupts that, that latter part of the confession. And then he acts, he says, but the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. So he, he not only physically runs to him and embraces him, demonstrating his love and forgiveness and grace and mercy to him and the joy that he was receiving because his lost son had been found and had returned. He said, I, I want you to know what I want to do for you. I, I want the best robe to be put on you. Now, many of those days, many people in those days, they only had one robe, maybe, maybe two. There wasn't a best robe, it was just robe one and robe two. But the father was a successful man. He had much property and much resources. And there was a robe that really only he wore. This was the, the robe reserved for the father. It was a symbol of importance and prominence and great value. And, and when they brought that robe and put it on the son, that wayward son, that prodigal son, that one son that was self-indulgent, wasteful, and living life for his own pleasures, he was now put in that position where you are now back in the state of value and importance to me. And you're wearing the robe that's only deserved, reserved for, for the family. And, and then he gave him the signet ring. And the signet ring, you know, is much more significant than rings that we wear because the signet ring probably had the family crushed on it. And when they had important legal documents, that was, that was signified that this was legal and this had the authority of the family to say this is what we're committed to or this is what we own. And so not only did you get the position of importance and value by putting on the robe, he, he then got the ring which said now you're in the position of authority. You're not going to be put in a place where you're told what to do, but you're going to have the opportunity to tell others what to do. And then he put on sandals, and sandals were, were foreign instruments for, uh, for slaves and servants. They didn't wear sandals. They just worked. He said, I'm not calling you back to be one of my servants. I'm calling you back into the family. You're one of my sons. And not only that, we're, we're going to celebrate this. We're, we're, we're not going to have people 
still thinking about the shame that you brought in the family. They're going to they're gonna look back at what I'm doing, and they're going to celebrate with me that the lost has been found. The one who rejected and rebelled has, has returned. And we're going to kill the fatted calf. Now, the fatted calf, and, you know, I, I had the opportunity to go to the Philippines, and, and being a visiting pastor, they thought the honor for me was to kill the, the fatted uh, pig, which is a whole other story. Okay, uh, you stick it, well, there's blood everywhere. All right, but, but the fatted calf was, was that which would possibly feed up to 200 people. In, in a small village, it's quite possible that he was inviting the entire town to come to the celebration. And, and they want to know that there was a source of great joy to the father that the son had returned. For the son of mine has, that was dead has come to life again. He was lost, has been found, and they began to celebrate. So here you have the story of, of, of two prodigal people. One that was wasteful and self-indulgent and selfish. That was the younger son. He returns. His father receives him in great mercy and forgiveness and grace. And his joy is just overwhelming at the joy of the father seeing his son return. You have the father, the prodigal father, in extreme generosity and lavishness of, of receiving the one who's undeserving. And he's filled with great joy. But there's one other person in the family that we haven't seen or talked about. And it's the older son, the older prodigal son. Now the older son was in the field and when he came and approached the, the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what, what these things could be. And he said to him, your father has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Now what's interesting about this, you had the father looking for the son to return. And as soon as he sees him in the distance, he runs to him. You have the older son. He's not looking at all. He, he's oblivious to what has happened because he, he's not wanting his old, younger son to return. So he, he is in the dark of what's happening because he's not anticipating for it to happen. And then when he finds out about it, what is his response? Is he filled with joy? The next phrase, verse 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. Now think about it for a moment. There's this great celebration going in. He's invited the entire village. Everyone is to come. That fatted calf has been killed. It's, there's enough food for 200 people. And the older son said, I'm not, I'm not coming. I'm not coming. Now think about this. Let's say you throw a party. Maybe, maybe it was, let's say, let, let, let's say we're throwing a birthday for Allegra, you know, and Allegra decided not to come. This is what's happening here. Now there's shame from the older son to the, to the father. I'm not coming. And he explains why. This is why he's so angry and bitter. And he says, and, and before that, the father pleads with him. He came out and pleaded with him to come in. Verse 29. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you, and I've never neglected a command of yours. Now, now he, he, he doesn't see himself as an undeserving person that that receives all the blessings from his father. He sees himself as a person deserving whatever blessings he gets from the father. And often religious people, that's how we feel. Well, I, you know, I ought to get the good things from God because I go to church or I pray or I read my Bible or I try to be good and nice and moral and ethical. And, you know, why do bad things happen to what? Good people. Well, Jesus is saying, look, at none of you are good. The Bible says, you know, after Genesis 3, none of you are good. You, you're just bad in different ways. 
We are far from God. Everyone is far from God until we're brought into the nearness of God. And he pleads with, a, with his son. I, I've not neglected the command of yours. Let me ask you. Has any of you ever broken one of the Ten Commandments? We all have. But this older son didn't think so. Look at I'm, I'm, I'm sinless, basically. I'd be getting this stuff. And that's where the religious elite of that day were feeling as well. Compared to these people over here, the sinners and the tax collectors and all those people living that kind of lifestyle, compared to them, I haven't, I haven't broken any commandment. And the Bible says if you've broken one, it's like breaking them all. And all you have to do is look in your own heart and mind. There are so many ways we, we just are filled with selfishness and rebellion against God. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. There were a couple of groups of people that didn't go to that party. One is that older son and all of his friends. Because they were all the same. But when this son of yours came who devoured your wealth and prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you have, you have always been with me. All that is mine is yours. Look, I, I want you to come. You've had more privilege than anybody else. I want you to come. But we had, now he's speaking of it, we had to celebrate and rejoice. For this brother of yours was dead and has come alive and was lost and has been found. But he's so filled with himself he could not see it. Instead of rejoicing that his lost brother had come and returned, all he could see was what he was missing and had missed because he stayed there and he held on and, and he didn't realize his greatest source of joy was not the possessions his father was going to give him, but the joy that was in the relationship with the Father. Now what's interesting about this story is that there's really no ending. You know, what happened after he pleaded with the, fa with the father, pleaded with the, the older son? What happened when he again said, this is the reason we're celebrating. Just like the lost sheep, the lost coin, now we have the lost son. He has returned, he's been found. We have great Reason for rejoicing and having joy. Well, those who have looked at the story and they've said, well, there's, there's three different scenarios that could have happened. Maybe more, but the three that probably are most prominent are this. That, that after that conversation with the older son, the older son convinced the father that he was wrong. Oh, <laughs> what was I thinking? I've just rewarded aberrant behavior. I've just, I've just rewarded selfish behavior i've just rewarded prodigal behavior i've just uh, wh what was i thinking i'm going to take back the coat i'm going to take back the the ring i'm going to take back the sandals we're going to we're not going to have this party and i'm going to condemn him and send him off because he ought to just reap what he sowed and that's what the religious elite were talking about all the time you, you you're you're spending time with people who don't deserve your love any time with you they said that often to jesus he was reprimanded more than anything else for being a friend of sinners Another story, or another possible ending of this, is that the older son came to his senses. Just like the younger son said, look, oh, what was I thinking? This is, this is my own brother, and I, I don't have any love for him. And, and, and I don't respect you and what brings you joy. I'm only thinking about what brings me joy. I want, I want to party with my friends. I don't, want to, I don't want to party with everybody else in the village. I, I, I was wrong. Please forgive me of my selfishness and stubbornness. And then there's a third ending of the story. Third in the story is this older son who thought he was holier than thou. He thought he was self-righteous enough, who was deserving God's goodness and the Father's goodness. 
not desperately needing it, but deserving it. He took up a piece of lumber, and in the midst of everyone who was watching, he beat his father to death. And that story is shocking when you end it that way. But in many ways, that's exactly what happened. Jesus came to rescue the lost sheep, the lost coin, but even more so, lost people. In an extremely generous and lavish, amazing way, he who was sinless, took on the sin of everyone and died on a cross. He, he was beaten to death by our sin so that we could be rescued by him. And so the, the end of the story is, where, where can we experience the greatest of joys? We experience the greatest of joy realizing that in heaven there's more joy than anything else that happens on this earth when people return and receive him. See, God is the seeking and searching one. We're the ones that are lost. God's not lost. He's always been where he's at. But he entered history. God the Father sent God the Son so that we could know him, so we could be rescued by him. And when we are like the younger son, we, we repent, we're, we're, we're going down the wrong path. We need to go on the right path. And Jesus is that path. And when we receive that which only he can give, which is that, that robe of his righteousness, being placed in his family as, as one of his sons, then we can experience giving God joy. And we receive his joy by simply opening up our arms to receive what only he can give. This is where the joy that is beyond any other joy is found in a relationship with the living God. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much that the God of the Old Testament, who in the book of Ezekiel said, I, I do not delight in the death of the wicked. Whether the, the, the wicked is described as, as those living in obvious evil behavior or those who who look good on the outside but are evil on the inside. I delight in no one perishing, but I wish that all would respond and turn to me. And that's repeated in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is seeking and searching for those who will open up their lives to, to change what happened in Genesis chapter 3, where we rebelled against you, and you have covered us just like you did Adam and Eve with garments, you've now covered us with the blood of Christ that forgives us of all our sins. Might we be those who run to you as you're running to us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with one hymn of faith and then um, look to the Lord.